0: Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today I have my friend CJ Bergman joining me yet again from uh, sometimes sunny, sometimes cloudy San Francisco. CJ, it's great to have you back on the podcast again. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Mostly cloudy, especially in the summer in San Francisco. Yeah, you guys get real June gloom, don't you? Yeah, like low fog, cold, gusty winds. So romantic yeah yeah the <laughs> famous quote
1: from mark twain is uh the coldest coldest winter i ever spent was the summer in san francisco so
0: that's a good quote
1: yeah it makes me feel good when i say it i feel like kind of cool
0: well any mark twain quote ups the ante
1: i have this like quote ready to go to like oh he lives in san francisco and Mark <laughs>
0: Twain. i don't know yeah, I didn't know Mark Twain ever went to San Francisco. So yeah, I read
1: that in a book someplace, and I was like, "Oh, I can totally use this to sound awesome."
0: <laughs> you definitely sound awesome.
1: Thanks. Always,
0: always sound awesome. That means a lot to me, Brad. That means so much to me. <laughs> so uh, today we have you on the podcast uh, as we're continuing on this sort of series of episodes on what's essential. Uh, what are what are the values that we should? you know, weave into every missional community in a proactive way. And so in the middle of the series, I thought it would be great to talk about caring for and loving and simply just having friends that are in need. Yeah. Or have different needs than us. And so you have been a person that's just embodied that, you and your family. You know, in San Francisco, you guys are in the heart of it, uh, both surrounded by incredible wealth and incredible... Uh, disparity there. Yeah. And so, yeah, love having you come on and speak so much about the truth as it regards to that. So thanks for joining us to, to talk about this. Yeah. Thanks for
1: having me. Uh,
0: so one of the first things I think to talk about is our motivations or how uh, caring for loving befriending people uh, where that starts and how that starts from the inside outward we just had a high school mission trip here and I know that people listen to the podcast, so they're going to love this, but they're super motivated to like do like paint something, build something, you know, let's like help this poor church out here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, there's like a missing link there. So Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you can start there sort of speaking to the, the heart level of it. Yeah, for sure.
1: I think that what you said about, Kind of what this series of podcasts are really gets at it when you say like, what's, what's essential to mm-hmm. um, being a missional community that kind of follows Jesus. Great question there is to ask like, what was essential to Jesus in his
2: ministry? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there's so much that he could have done. There's so much, he so many ways he could have spent his time, so many different people that he could have spent his time with. And then he could have inaugurated his kingdom in any kind of way. He could have started from anywhere. Yeah. Um, but where did Jesus start? Who was around him? What spaces did he occupy? And you can't argue that Jesus spent most of his time outdoors near poor, broken sinners. Mm-hmm. And he inaugurated his kingdom in that context And essentially said, I'm going to build my church and build the kingdom on the foundation of these kinds of people. Mm -hmm. What has changed? You know, (laughs) um, when I moved to San Francisco to plant a church, are my values, the way I spend my time, the people that I'm going after aligned with Jesus?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Am I going to the slow pockets of poor and marginalized people hmm. or am I saying, man, I need to like befriend social and political elites in the city hmm. so that I can have maximum impact on the city. Yeah. And I remember just like coming to the city, reading a ton of stuff, talking to a bunch of pastors like, man, you need to, you need to get on your neighborhood board mm-hmm. and begin to influence, you know, what's happening in your neighborhood. Um, as it turns out, like my neighborhood board hates homeless people. Yeah. and want them gone from our, not only our neighborhood, but our city,
2: Mm -hmm. by the way.
1: So I grew up in the church and the only, if you had asked me growing up, like what, what passage of scripture talks about the poor, (laughs) the one that was quoted to me the most was the poor. You will always have among you. Hmm. And the way that that scripture was used. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. Was, Hey, there's always going to be freaking poor people, man. So, <laughs> like, don't beat yourself up about it. I seriously wish I was joking right now. I know that's not.
0: so tragic. This is tragic laughter.
1: Yeah, totally. The line between tragedy and comedy is so blurry. So, let's look at the Old Testament and let's just pick any prophet, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and look at what language is being employed. So, in I love this one. Uh, amos 5 21 to 24 this is th- from the message bible love you eugene yes i can't stand your religious meetings i'm fed up with your conferences and conventions i want nothing to do with your religion projects your pretentious slogans and goals mm. i'm sick of your fundraising schemes your public relations and image making i've had all i can take of your noisy ego music when was the last time you sang to me Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Hmm. So we have a clear biblical mandate just throughout the Old Testament of like true worship. Yeah. Right. It's to care for the poor, the orphan and the widow in particular. Hmm. But then... I got wrecked a couple of years ago, right as we were planting citizens. Cause man, when we were going to plant citizens, dude, <laughs> my background is in youth ministry at large churches in wealthy suburbs. And so I was like, dude, here's what we're going to do. We're going to plant <laughs> in lower pack heights in San Francisco. It's one of the wealthiest places in the city. It's where a lot of families with older kids live. And I'm like, dude, we're going to go start a youth ministry for rich families. Mm-hmm. We're going to reach these high school kids who are really wealthy. And then we're going to reach their parents for Jesus. That was my vision for church planting. And then I'm in, I'm in the city and I go, go to this uh, church, Christ church in the city. And they have this guest speaker. His name's Tim Kane. Uh You know, Tim, right? You connected with Tim. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's preaching out of Luke 14, starting verse 12, when Jesus is at this dinner. And he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors in case they invite you in return and you might be repaid. Um, So he kind of gives, gives a warning. And instead he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I sat there like listening to that sermon and that's just not—it's not a hyperbolic thing that that Jesus is saying there, right? He's not saying like if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Yeah. He's saying like he's saying, "Hey, I throw parties, yeah. me, Jesus, and at my parties there are poor, crippled, lame, and blind people, mm-hmm. and if you want the kingdom." If you want me, like if you want to receive the person of Jesus, Mm -hmm. I'm giving you access to myself. But it's going to be through these people. Mm -hmm. So he hung out with those folks. And then he told us, these are the people that I want you to be with. If you want the kingdom, if you want the gospel, if you want more discipleship, like if you want to grow in your faith, If you want to experience increased intimacy with me, this is how you do it. Yeah. So that
0: Hmm.
1: the gospel to my own heart means that I'm receiving it through these relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think what you are getting at, Brad, is like, we love justice right now. Right. Right. So hot right now. So, so in. That's just sort of in, in like justice. Um, this guy, this pastor, used to be in Bend, Oregon. Ken Ken Witzma, I think. Witzma Witzma. Ken Wiseman. Yeah, that's him. Awesome. What is it? Wis Wisma. I think it's yeah, it's something like yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ken. <laughs> Ken's probably tuned in. Anyway, um, <laughs> he said that um, justice is the new program of the church, and we are consuming it. Mm. And I was like, oh man, that's mic drop right there. Yeah. And I don't know, man, maybe we're disenchanted or what or something like that. who knows what's driving us? But yeah, when we say justice, we mean like justice
0: projects right.
1: We mean I want to paint a building, I want to fix something that's broken. Mm-hmm. I want to make a difference, I want to feel like my life matters, yeah, and I'm like doing something that has value. um I want to stand with you know, people that have been abused or marginalized. And I like, I want to, I need like a cause to fight for. And man, (laughs) we are a hundred percent at the center of those convictions. Like I, I am driven for my own sake a lot. Yeah, My own pride, my own sense of hierarchy or
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or privilege or something like that. A lot of weird, funky stuff driving me, and we talked about this in the other podcast when we were talking about healing and wholeness. Of like, we don't even know what's driving us, yeah, to do this kind of work, yeah. And so, to be like Jesus, like I love in this passage in Luke when he says, like, when you throw a party, because like even the person that's doing justice projects on the on the weekends, like when they when they go on Saturday to serve at the food pantry on Friday night when they had a party. Did anybody that's going to be at the food pantry tomorrow come to their party? Yeah. The answer is no. Let me compartmentalize out my service to the poor. Yeah. There's no incarnation, mm-hmm. there's not a width. And so, Jesus' invitation, just to like wrap up the sort of like Bible heart part of this. Honestly, Jesus' invitation to every Christian is be friends with someone that's deeply in need
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and a poor. Yeah. That's his invitation. Right. Like, hey, I love you, and I want to disciple you. So I'm telling you, become friends with someone that's that mm-hmm. is really severely displaced and marginalized. Right. That's yeah. not where I thought I was. I should go to find more Jesus. Right. Um, but it, but it turns out it has been yeah. for me.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And I don't remember where I heard this. Uh, maybe it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But there there are two places where you understand uh who God is and who you are uh and and who humanity is those two places one is at the foot of the cross you see like man that's who Jesus is i see who yeah. i am i see like we are all like in need of this deep confession and deep uh savior uh and then at the table is where we also see who Jesus is oh yeah and who we are and who hu- who humanity is yeah And I think about like Jesus is always talking about tables and meals and stuff. And yeah, and I, yeah, I often think about the disciples fighting over who gets to sit on what side of Jesus at this table and who gets to lounge where next to him, not realizing everybody at the table is super blessed (laughs) to be there, Yeah, you know, right. you did not hit the home run you think you hit to, to get put here, you know? Yep. Yeah, and I think it's, it's honestly, I think it's one of our struggles with reconciliation in our country with pride and arrogance and all of these things is like we see ourselves worthy of the feast. You know, we hear that passage that you just read and we think, well, of course, I'm supposed to be invited. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm supposed yeah. to be there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's not that the poor have this sort of noble quality in them, you know, that like, oh, when when you're with the poor, you like get to experience like real humanity, like that is always was intended. You actually just get to like see yourself. At least that's been my experience, loving and being becoming friends with refugees uh, in our city. Yeah. So uh, CJ, kind of trying to dive even deeper into this. Uh, that's like really good heart stuff, motivation, you know, like stirs our affections for Jesus and for convicting cuts our hearts. But then like, there's this theoretical piece of, Mm -hmm. okay, like we've been doing justice as a trend, as a program to consume for so long. Like how do we actually do this as friendship?
1: Yeah, no, that's real good. And I think we have to start with like a total mind shift there. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to like, we have to actually look at our own way of engaging these issues and, and really admit like, man, this isn't enough or this isn't like, this isn't exactly how God called us to do it. So like for me, before I heard Tim preach this sermon, like our missional community was serving at a food pantry once a month.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And would go for an hour and we'd like put gloves on and stand behind tables and hand out food to people Mm -hmm. and, and go, man, we're awesome. (laughs) Like this is the best missional community I've ever been part of. Like we're just totally like serving this place. And man, the people working there were like, dude, so cool that your community is committed to being here. Like, thanks so much.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, they're going to like reinforce, you know, positive feedback, right. (laughs) To keep coming back. Um, That's how I, that's how I would do it. You guys are literally the best coming here. (laughs) Please don't ever stop. And, And man, food pantries are awesome. Like go to a food pantry. Yeah. Like, please go to a food pantry. But it wasn't until we were like, hey, that 85 year old Jewish Ukrainian man named Vladimir who comes to the food pantry every Saturday we should invite him over for dinner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Like, why does Tim Cain have to preach a sermon? why does another pastor have to preach that sermon to me before I like make that connection? Yeah. And it really does get at when we talk about family servant missionaries, like what if that was my grandfather? What if that was my uncle? What if that was my dad? Yeah. And I think we don't, I think we don't like to aim small. We like to aim big. Mm-hmm. We want to have a big impact for a lot of people and try to solve houselessness or solve injustice for our city. Mm -hmm. Like how about you start with like a relationship? And so language becomes orientation and language becomes huge. Right. So one of the things is kind of our language is like people are not problems to solve Mm -hmm. projects to fix or prospects to save, Mm -hmm. but instead are persons to be embraced Mm -hmm. just as they are as they are not as they should be. If we are signaling that we p- think people are a problem to solve or something to fix or prospects to save, we are objectifying them. Yeah, We are assuming, we're presuming that our way of being our way of life is what they should have. And we're like building out power. We're like reinforcing power structures and reinforcing hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And so language like is really important. So, we always talk about folks in this position as friends in mm-hmm. need or friends on the margin, and we use friendship as a primary model for language in our relationships with folks. Yeah. Okay, but dude, I'm always blowing it on this and trying <laughs> to figure it out. So, like, uh, every Monday morning, there's a coffee shop that's like a 20 minute walk from my house in the Hay ha- Ashbury area. We do staff meetings on Monday mornings, and then I walk home in the afternoon. Some friends of mine who live outside every Monday morning when I'm walking home, uh, it's about a 20 minute walk. I walk by them. um, And I just recently found out that this friend of mine, this girl who lives out in the park uh, is pregnant. She just found out she's pregnant. And my presupposition is certainly if she's pregnant, like she wants to figure out a way to get indoors. Mm -hmm. And so in my conversation with her, I say, Oh, I heard that you're, I heard there's some news and I heard you're having a baby. And she said, yeah. And I'm like, oh, first of all, congratulations. And then I said, so are you guys trying to figure out a way to get inside? Hmm. And she said, oh, I don't know. I mean, I know lots of people that have parented their kids and stayed outside. Hmm. So what I did was even at, here's a guy that, you know, just to encourage you. If you're just getting into this, I'm like three, four years into meaningfully walking with friends in need. And I just like realized that I still have a blind spot of like, why am I presuming (laughs) that this person wants to be indoors? Oh, yeah. And and the reason is because I want to be indoors, (laughs) right? Like I want to be like sleeping in my bed Um, in between feedings and being up with baby, or I'm thinking this is what's best for baby. And listen, perhaps it is, that's art to be argued. But the issue is what is my proper, what is my like primary orientation towards this friend who lives outside? Mm -hmm. Do I, is the, am I reinforcing in the relationship that they're in a position of need and I'm in a position of power and that I can help them take their next step? Cause certainly they want to move out of their situation into this situation. Mm So understanding like what our, what our posture and orientation is. And so we talk a lot about like walking with Mm -hmm. not doing things for them or to them, but walking with them. Mm -hmm. So then the thing I did do well in this conversation was I said, well, man, our community just wants to be good friends to you. Like we just want to be a good friend to you. Will you help us know like how to be good friends to you as you go through this process? Yeah. And man, we want to walk alongside you and help in any way that we can, just like any community would. Their mm-hmm. friend who had, was having a baby. But don't worry, no one's going to try and tell you what you should do.
0: Yeah, which is a good friendship tip too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and and we you know we were in LA a month ago and we were talking about some of this stuff with you know with a group of leaders from SOMA LA Culver City, and I said. If you start being friends with, you know, friends in need, what you find out is like, are you even a good friend to your other friends right, right now? Like, <laughs> absolutely. do you know how to be a good friend, you know, in general? And and again, I think that that gets at like Jesus saying, oh, by the way, I have something to teach you and I want to use these friends in need uh, to teach you stuff. Like you're going to learn through these relationships, how you mm. do crappy stuff to all the rest of your friends. Oh, yeah. The rest of the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's why the the image and the reality of friendship is so, so great. Because, yeah, as as disciples, we're just terrible at, at being friends, yeah. even though Jesus tells us that's one of our identities. He doesn't call us slaves. He calls us friends. Yeah. And that's what we do at the Lord's table. He's calling us friends. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing.
1: So, you know, for us at Citizens, you know, our vision for all of our missional communities, we call them missional families, is that each missional family would have a clear pathway for a friend in need to meaningfully participate at the highest level of their missional community. Mm-hmm. So rather than saying, we want every missional com- community to have some really cool service project that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So right there, even like, what's what service project are you Asian. so we're already using project language right so my vision for our initial communities is like who do you have sitting at the table that represents who jesus is telling us to invite to the table mm-hmm. and so we're taking mm-hmm. a much more like qualitative relational uh long-term approach to people that are experiencing marginalization or displacement and trying to build them into the fabric of our church mm-hmm. itself, and saying, in the same way that, like, we would want in our missional communities, we would want like introverts and extroverts, we would want a broad scope of the gifts, right? Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherd, teacher. Mm-hmm. We want a diversity of those skill sets and gifts. We would say, we want socioeconomic diversity in our missional community for the sake of the missional community. Mm-hmm. That's good. So that you can get from Jesus that which you could never get anywhere
0: else. If that's like the the goal or the vision that you cast for your whole church and citizens, how do you help, you know, these missional families that you're not part of? How do you help them both understand that picture and then walk towards it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, with anything regarding and man, by the way, you know, we're a small church, 50 or so people, three missional families. So it's easier to shape culture, you know? Um, and so in my case, the easiest way for me to do all this is to model it personally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As the guy who started the church, mm-hmm. you know, of like, it's clear as day to our church family. Like CJ has friends who live outside or who are in need or experiencing some amount of displacement. Mm-hmm. And so that means that, you know, those friends come on Sunday mornings to our gatherings. Um, they bring their friends to the, the gatherings
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then they're at missional family. They experience that and see that as a church, you know, what we've built in to our like DNA as a church family from day one is like really meaningful partnerships with local ministries. You're going to have in your city, in your town, in your neighborhood, usually some kind of parachurch organization certainly that's true in san francisco Mm -hmm. because the church has done so badly at this you have all these parachurch organizations that are trying to like make up for the deficit in the church Mm -hmm. and so meaningful partnership with those folks where you become a trusted church to where they know their friends who they're walking with can come to a gathering or to some event at the church and be super welcomed and warm. I mean, those, those workers that are like given their life to this work for very little pay, mm-hmm. all, man, they are desperate to find some church community <laughs> that's going to like totally love and embrace and dignify their friends. Yeah. Right. And so what we've done is become a church that like on any given Sunday, like, a number of folks who live outside or just like going through rehab or something like that will just come because of our, our partnerships, people that bring them. That's cool. So there's that, but then also ask yourself what poor people are in our path, Mm. like as individuals and as a church, like in the places that we go, like on our ways to on our way to work and on our way home as we're walking home or we're, you know, and so for me, I have the luxury of like Golden Gate Park that's between where I work and where I live. And so I walk through it. Mm-hmm. That's where people are that live outside. But then you have to ask yourself, if no one's in your pathway,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you have made it that way <laughs> by either like, you know, subconsciously choosing a pathway that doesn't involve the poor where they aren't. Mm hmm. Or you have definitely not decided to go out of your way to make sure that you're like coming across these folks,
2: yeah.
1: And you need to ask Jesus to to show you like what route you could take that has poor people in it, mm-hmm. but that you have like passively or probably subconsciously chosen to sort of navigate away from. Mm-hmm. Like, man, I don't take that bus line. <laughs> I go around that neighborhood, yeah, and just go. Man, I'm going to build five more minutes into my already long commute. Mm-hmm. I always stop for such and such at a grocery store or at a place anyway on my way home. This is my favorite grocery store, but I know if I go to this other grocery store, it'll take me five minutes more, cost me a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. But there's that homeless guy that's always out front.
2: Yeah.
1: So pathways that have people in it, and then you're and then you're looking to like build friendship with people over time. Yeah. And you're looking to do that in community. You don't do that by yourself, you do it with other people. Mhm. And you start by, you know, going into spaces that people already are and then eventually you pray about inviting them into your spaces.
2: Mhm.
0: Yeah. Uh what sort of wisdom do you have for people who are who are at that point who have been, you know, have have changed their path, have yeah. begun friendships And then are thinking through like, well, what does that look like then to invite them into my places, not just going to their places?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of wisdom is required because we are we are um, dealing with folks who uniquely have like acute trauma in their story. There's probably drug and some kind of addiction going on. And so it's unloving to put somebody in a position to harm us. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's harmful to them, actually. And so like for us, this is where meaningful partnerships, local partnerships with people that are doing their work full time and have actually training and usually like, you know, schooling in these areas yeah, to sort of serve as a little bit of a filtration system where they can sort of go, here's a friend that I've been like actively hanging out with for a, a season. And I think they'd be a really great candidate to like spend some more time with citizens. Yeah. And that means They've demonstrated that they like can be lucid for large amounts of times. Mm-hmm. They've seen them in multiple environments. So they feel safer. Yeah. Um, and so that's a helpful tool and resource. And then you're always doing it in community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, and this just gets at like, when we think about when you, when we hear this, we only picture ourselves doing something, mm-hmm. not us and a group of people doing it together. Yeah. If you're afraid that someone who is an addict or, or poor might hurt you, then outnumber them, <laughs> right? They're not going to do anything when it's them and 10 of you, yeah. you know, at your house. yeah. And then I think you feel it out. Like you, like a man, this, this couple that I was just referring to that I'm just kind of befriending, you know, my next step was like, Hey, Hey, could I take you guys to dinner this week? Is there like a favorite place you like to go? Can I just like yeah. meet up with you for dinner? I'd love to buy you guys dinner and just get to know you better. Like love to like build continue building my friendship with you. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna go to a public place and hang out. Yeah. So I've known them for a couple months now, but I haven't invited them to my home yet.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so uh, a lot of our listeners, like this, you're speaking from your own experience, which is all you can do, really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which has mostly been in San Francisco with people living outside because that is the West Coast. Uh, But uh, you also you. You lived in Phoenix in the suburbs uh, for a while, uh, which is a lot of people that uh, listen to the podcast too, not just in cities, but in those environments. Like how, you know, what sort of ideas do you have for people that find themselves in literal uh, safe uh, walled areas uh, because that's where they've been placed? I don't know, what ideas do you have for them and changing their path, pursuing have uh, friendship with people that uh, are in need? No, that's
1: a great question. Um, and one of the things is to sort of, I've used the word a couple of times displacement. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of have a, what we call a five fold displacement model Yeah. where we actually don't use the word homelessness very often. We use the word houseless because
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's only one form of displacement. And so um, people can be displaced physically, which means they don't have a home. Or they can be emotionally displaced, Mm -hmm. cognitively displaced, spiritually displaced, or socially displaced. Mm -hmm. So, they're kind of like the five physical, emotional, cognitive, spiritual, social. um, I would add sexual Mm -hmm. um, to that. And this is like where we're talking about people that are like outcasts. Yeah. Marginalized on the fringes of our relational groups, friend groups, even churches that are just... They're difficult. Mm-hmm. They're difficult people. It's hard to be friends with them. They they seem to have a hard time doing relationships, maintaining relationships. Yeah. And so number one, just to like encourage the listener, if maybe you're like, man, I don't have a Golden Gate Park near my home where people live outside. Yeah. Do you have somebody in your life that is not at home in some way? Mm-hmm. Some one or a few of those out of the five, yeah. and so maybe maybe everyone else is pretty wealthy and they're not wealthy. Yeah, you know, they're a single mom working multiple jobs, and everyone else around them is wealthy. Yeah, what kind of ways does that keep them from engaging meaningfully? And how are you as a community? And that's where we got to be really careful because, like, that's when we got get into these little savior complexes where we're trying to like help somebody and fix somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, in that case are you becoming their savior, their Lord and savior? Mm -hmm. Um, or are you like coming around them as a community to do friendship and life with them? Right. So there's, I mean, there's that. Yeah. And so I want to encourage people like to ask the question, like what are the forms of brokenness that are immediately in my path already? Yeah. But I don't want to overstate that because someone can hear that and go, Oh cool. Yeah. I've got displaced people around (laughs) me. And then they start to say like, yeah, I mean, you know, the poor, everyone's poor in some way. Right. no, dude. Like seriously, when Jesus said the cripple, the lame, the blind, and the poor, he meant the people that live outside.
2: Yeah,
1: you know. And so, like, there are some there's somebody that's homeless in your city, in your town. Mm-hmm. Like seriously, oh yeah, every everywhere they're always among you, right, Brad? The poor are always. Among you. <laughs> uh, what that means is they are. What that means is you can find somebody. Yeah, and I do think I think that Jesus is calling us to seek those people out. Mm -hmm. did he not seek us out when we were that that person yeah you know like were we in jesus's neighborhood or did he have to leave his neighborhood to find us now we're getting into like tim killer gospel formula Mm -hmm. like jesus left his place of privilege and came to the earth Mm -hmm. right the homeless neighborhood yeah called earth yeah and adopted people into his family
0: Mm -hmm. and treated us like family and treated us like family. Before we got our act together. Before we got our act together, man. We still don't have our act together.
1: And your your homeless friend may live 30, 40 minutes away from you. Mm-hmm. Let's, and then and then you might go, Why did I why did I choose to live someplace that's forty minutes away from the closest homeless person? Hmm. That's a good question to ask yourself. Yeah. And dude, I mean, you know, I sound like a prophet now, but I mean, <laughs> when I lived in <laughs> when I lived in Scottsdale, that was me.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? that was me. Totally. And so it took Jesus moving me to San Francisco and then putting homeless people in my neighborhood for me to ever pay attention. So let me give grace mm-hmm. to and love to anybody that just felt a shame narrative from me.
0: Yeah. And I think there's this reality too of uh, a transformation of our home. Uh, even in the new Testament, the people that had homes had these massive households. Uh, so like the early church wasn't just a bunch of hippies, but like actual, like, There are super successful businesswomen and businessmen and like military people and like that had tons of like Mm -hmm. cultural privilege. Uh, It's just the gospel, like you're saying, turns that upside down, like privilege. Those privileges don't lead towards bigger bunkers and kingdoms. It looks more like following Jesus and his kingdom where he surrenders uh, sitting next to the right hand of God uh, to come to earth. And yeah. be a servant yeah. and, uh, walk with the sick and the lame, super powerful. And I think that that list of, of displacement is, is really like truly helpful for, for any situation or any context. I think that that really covers it. Can you say that one more time? You're six. Yep. Totally. Uh,
1: physical. Mm-hmm. So that would be like a houselessness reality. Um, emotional. So now we're talking, we're getting into like people that are just, you know, having major, major issues, emotionally, Mm -hmm. um, cognitive. So any amount of personality disorder, probably dealing with addiction, those kinds of things, spiritual, whether it's like just a, a godlessness, they don't know God at all, or, or they've experienced some kind of spiritual abuse or something like that, estrangement, social. Um, which I think is huge. And that can have to do with like culturally social, like mm-hmm. ethnic social, you know, realities of people, groups mm-hmm. like refugees, and different racial minorities, or it could just be like the, the person in your sphere that like nobody wants to be around. Yeah.
0: You know, the neighbor everybody hates. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, something else I always love to share and this and everything I've, Everything I'm saying is all things I've been taught by other people, but that hospitality, a biblical, biblical meaning of hospitality, the word for hospitality in the scriptures is the word phyloxenia. Um, and it's two words. It's uh, philo, which is kinship love mm-hmm. and xenia, which is the word stranger. Mm-hmm. So that hospitality is a kinship love or a family kind of love for the stranger. Yeah. Um, and the thing that gets me on that one is that the word Xenia, the only word we know is xenophobia mm-hmm. um, which is basically fear of the stranger, right um, and so while the Bible says hospitality is kinship love for the stranger, mm-hmm. our society has built in this idea of like stranger danger, right, fear yeah. of strangers, yeah, man, think about <laughs> a church of the people of God saying we want to be salt and light to the world. Mm -hmm. Like we want to be the picture to the world of what the coming of the kingdom is. And the good news of the kingdom is Yeah. what if we embodied kinship, love for strangers Mm -hmm. instead of, and, and lived out the opposite of fear of strangers. Right. And we can get super pissed. Like think about like how many people are so angry at what's going on in our nation right now and the way that we're treating migrant families
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like this radical, like, Oh my gosh, like these are, these, these people from, you know, another land or whatever, we need to love them and care for them and treat them like family as a country.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I would say to every person that, that is pissed off <laughs> at a like political level think about who you are afraid of that you that feels like a stranger to you who's the person that like doesn't look like you doesn't act like you doesn't talk like you um that you're afraid of there is some stranger in your life that you are deeply afraid of yeah you know you don't take their babies away from them um and separate them from their families but you avoid them
0: yeah that's a good word. You're on your profit. You're wearing I'm your profit. <laughs> I got to get back.
1: Where's my shepherd? Where's my priest?
0: Well, sometimes you know? the shepherds, you know, they use their staffs. Sometimes only to like
1: fierce beasts. I don't, I'm hoping there's no fierce beasts on this podcast. Yeah. like listening. <laughs> uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. I think these are all people that like love Jesus. So, right there's grace in all this stuff, man. Like I'm still figuring this stuff out. And like, as I'm saying that, I'm saying that to my own heart and going, oh man, I'm like, totally, I don't get a free pass because of any of the work I'm doing.
2: Yeah.
1: I got plenty of stuff to grow in, you know?
0: Yeah. That's so great. And I think that that's, uh, I just recently watched the Mr. Rogers neighborhood documentary. Oh yeah. And it's something that uh, you talked about, and uh, the last episode talking about attachment, but like his firm belief was that everybody needs to know that they are loved and that they are yeah. lovable. Yeah. And that was his whole life mission with television was to say this, wow. this tool can be used to let everybody know that they are loved and that they're lovable, especially yeah. at an early age when like that's when mm. we're at, like that's why he geared it towards like preschool kids. Mm. Yeah because that's, as you were talking in the last episode, uh, where a lot of that gets really entrenched in our hearts and our minds. And and I think that yeah. we just have, we don't realize, like the church does not realize the power we have to represent the gospel with our words and our actions, to to see someone, to touch someone, and let them know that they are loved and lovable and like capable of being loved. And a lot of times that's like, kind smiles and asking questions and listening and say, how can I walk with you? Which is true for all human relationships. Uh, But we have an incredible power within our culture and it's not in the, in the ballot booth. So,
1: yeah, that's good, man. And I, we are, yeah, something that we had talked about earlier was like, you said the church has enormous power. We don't realize what power we have, Mm -hmm. you know, And that's true. I mean, we, we have way more power than I think we do, but I think it gets at like, what's motivating us to do this stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, and what are we after, you know? Um, Because we don't do this stuff because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Like if we do this out of a sense of like obligation or righteousness, we're totally missing it. Totally. Um, Jesus isn't calling us to be friends with those who are in need. Because he's like, man, to obey me or just, you know, to do the right thing or to like show your appreciation for my sacrifice for you on the cross. Like, dude, if if that's motivating us, that's like a self-righteousness. Right. We're then we're pitting people, which is just reinforcing power dynamics and power structures. Yeah. We have to like decide that, like, if we don't do this, we don't have Jesus and we need him. You know, yeah. like that has to be it. Like yeah. that I can't be close to Jesus if I'm not close to the people that he was close with or is close with.
0: Yeah, and that's that brings us back full circle. And I think that's such a great spot to end that that can be ringing in our ears as we walk away from this episode of the podcast that, that it is, it's about seeking Jesus. Or as uh, Victor Hugo says in Les Miserables, to help another person is to see the face of God mm. that we would that we would seek to enjoy the gospel and to enjoy the fruit of the gospel, Christ himself, in these yeah. relationships and in these unlikely friendships, or what our culture would say is unlikely. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, CJ, for joining the podcast. And uh, we can add uh, in the show notes some resources for people to check out. But yeah, thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, you got it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, for all you listening out there, yeah, make sure you check out uh, the resources that we'll share to help you uh, engage in this even more uh, at dinner tables and then in your drives home. Thank you for listening as always, and we will be chatting again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.